the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Sutter and I'm excited to join you again today as we explore a new topic We're talking about sugar in kids' food and drinks. Want to take just a moment before we get started, though, to remind you that we are recording in a room together, but we are all still wearing masks because the COVID-19 pandemic continues to be a part of our lives, and we are doing everything we need to do to keep each other safe. I'm excited to be joined today in the studio by our guests, Delaney Elam and Catherine Anthony, who are both registered dietitians in our Heart Institute here at Cincinnati Children's. So they've joined us for this fantastic conversation about sugar, and I'm going to give them each just a moment to tell us a little bit about themselves and what they do here at the hospital. My name is Delaney Elam. I work in preventive cardiology here at Cincinnati Children's, specifically the lipid and hypertension clinic. Um, I really enjoy working here with families because I do get the chance to Um, be preventative with my care. Um, They're at a really good spot in their lives to be able to make great changes for their bodies um, as a family, as a whole, um, to make food fun for them, um, to find things they like, um, to connect as a family um, surrounding food. So I I really enjoy what I do here. Thanks for having us. My name is Katherine Anthony, and I work with HealthWorks within the Heart Institute here and work with Uh, kids who have overweight and obesity. And one of my favorite things is just getting to individualize the plan for every family. Every family is different, and I love getting to be creative and finding fun and um, engaging recipes that kids can partake in, and also just quick and easy things. Everyone is busy. Everyone is on the go, um, and food can be expensive. So finding those affordable, quick, easy meals that work for families is something that I love to help them do. So I suspect that sugar is probably um, part of that conversation um, that each of you have with patients and families when you first start working with them. Um, And because that's our topic today, I think where I'm curious to start with this is can you just help us understand a little bit about um, the role of sugar in kids' bodies? Like, what does it do? And actually, before we get there, can, can we also kind of make the distinction between like naturally occurring sugars and added sugars? And are we talking about all of it today or do you want us to focus one way or the other? Yeah, thank you. I think that's a very um, important distinction distinction to make um, is added sugar versus natural sugar. For the general population, um, there is a difference between added and natural, whereas natural may be found in foods such as fruit, um, milk, uh, white milk, things that are naturally occurring versus added sugar are the sugars that manufacturers um, put into certain foods and drinks, such as sodas, um, baked goods, things like that. Um, So there is a big difference between the two. Yeah, so our body is gonna process sugar. Natural sugar is processed a little bit differently, but uh, ultimately sugar is processed in our bodies wherever it comes from. And so when we're digesting the natural sugar in something like fruit, our body's also working to break down all that other good fiber and those other nutrients, where when we just have that added sugar in drinks or baked goods or candies, cookies, granola bars, all these things that they're hidden in, um, 
there's a lot less other nutrition coming with those. And so it has a bigger impact on kids' bodies. So kids' bodies are just not created to handle the impact of these large quantities of sugar at once. Um, like a sports drink or a soda that's having 20, 30, 40 grams of sugar all at once. Their bodies are not handled to create that level of sugar. It causes a lot of stress on the body and continual intake of added sugars can lead to many different diseases. And so that's why we're trying to prevent them because we know that kids who consume high levels of added sugar are at a higher risk for obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and the list goes on. How do we help kids understand that? Because to them, it's just food and it tastes good. So those are the ones that they want to eat. Like, how can we, how can we help them know what they're putting in their bodies and why it's important? Absolutely. Yeah. And we want to avoid um, sugar being this forbidden thing that we can never have. And then when they do have access to it, they end up overeating it and that can lead to an unhealthy relationship with food. So what I think is really important as a parent is to explain, have this conversation, let this be an open conversation. Don't just leave it. No, you can't have that. That has sugar in it. That doesn't make sense to a kid. They don't understand that. And so one shift that can be really helpful is seeing that food is fuel. So explaining to your kids that we put fuel in our bodies to help our bodies run, right? We put gas in the car to make it run. If we fill the gas tank with soda, it wouldn't run, right? And so explaining to your kids, we want to fuel your body and we want to fuel our bodies as parents to um, be able to have all of the energy to do the things that we want to do related to something they love. If they love playing basketball with their friends or if they love dancing or if they love acting and being in plays, whatever they love related to that their food can fuel them to be the best at whatever they love doing. Certain foods that maybe taste good that are high in sugar, um, they taste delicious, but they don't contribute a lot of good fuel. So I think shifting the conversation to let's give your body what it needs and we can enjoy these foods that taste sweeter that don't have as much fuel um, now and then, but those aren't going to be foods that we're going to eat every day because as your mom or dad or guardian, grandma, grandpa, I want to help you be your best. So this idea of, um, you know, we can have them every once in a while, that's very much an approach that I've tried to take with my own kids that it's kind of that everything in moderation kind of way of thinking that it isn't off limits because then when, like you mentioned, they do have access, then it's like, I want to eat it all. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on how we can help kids kind of know when, um, help kids and parents too, like know when to be able to say yes every once in a while to something that the kids really want to have that is sweet. Yeah, thank you. So I think it's very important for children and for parents to understand that there are foods that are better for our bodies and foods that might not be as good for our bodies to eat all the time. And that's kind of where moderation comes in. Um, the foods that are better for our bodies that might have more fiber or fruits or vegetables or things that we know might be a little bit more helpful for our bodies, those are the ones that we really want to try to include more often. However, the ones that, you know, the kids might really love, the cookies, the candies, the ice creams, things like that, they're not things that they can never have. Um, and having an understanding that they are able to have these in moderation, um, and when they do have them, maybe not overeating them, maybe not every single night, but it's okay to have them. So the moderation is very important. Yeah, and I would just add to that, I think what whatever's available in the home, kids are going to grab, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's 
asking permission or getting it without permission. And so the food that's available in the home is gonna play a huge role, right? If I came home every day after work to a plate of brownies on the counter, I would definitely eat them because I love brownies, right? And so I know that that's not gonna set me up for success. Um, And so I think the more we can do as a family and all be on the same page. It's not like, oh, well, your brother gets this, but you can't have that, or mom and dad are gonna eat this, but you can't have that. The whole family needs to be working on this together. And so uh, we think that going out to enjoy something like ice cream or dessert is a great route to go with sugar because if it's in the house, it's going to be eaten. And then if you do want to bring something in because it's a lot more affordable to obviously buy something at the store than go out to get it, then get a pint to share with the family or get individual servings so that we're not having excess quantity available. So you mentioned the what's available in the home. So I, I am a parent. I have a 12-year-old, 9-year-old, and a 2-year-old. And so we have, you know, different things that each of them like. And But it's hard sometimes because I feel like we grab things that we think are healthy, um, or at least healthier, that are providing that good fuel for their bodies. Um, and then I look at the nutrition label, and there's just so much more sugar than I thought there was going to be in that particular product. Do you guys have any thoughts on like where those most common kind of sugar is like the, the most common places where the sugar is hidden um, that can kind of be some guidelines for parents to avoid? Yeah. So sugar is pervasive in everything. Um, companies are making foods taste way better. And one of the ways they do that is sugar, um, especially after the trend that we saw where foods were becoming super low fat quite a few years back that was that taste was just replaced with sugar and a lot of that is still in our food environment today Um, so common things like juice granola bars yogurt fruit snacks things that people think that they're helping their kids right they have a ton of sugar delaney and i put together just some a list of a few things um, some drinks and foods that and just the grams of sugar they have per serving so even just a cup of orange juice which you think oh that's good um, my kid needs vitamin C. Let me give them some orange juice. And then all of a sudden they're getting 24 grams of sugar, right? And a lot of that, all that fiber is taken out because we're not just eating the fruit or something like chocolate milk. Oh, it's milk. It's good, right? They need strong bones. Just one glass, again, 16 grams of sugar. Um, fruit snacks for six to seven gummies, which is nothing. That's not keeping any kid full. Nine grams of sugar. Um, and then cereals, can have a wide range of sugar in them. Captain Crunch, which is a popular one, uh, has 17 grams of sugar per one cup. And most kids, especially if they're serving their own bowl of cereal, are definitely not eating just one cup. So it's really in everything. Sugar is in everything. And so I think the more whole foods that we can eat, the better. Um, but that's not realistic for every single meal. And so we're, we are going to be eating packaged foods. That's a reality of the world that we live in. And so being mindful, reading that label, looking for that added sugar. So there's going to be total sugars on the new nutrition label, total sugars, and then added sugars. So the added are the ones that we're looking at. Um, So we want to look for lower added sugars in products. I think that's very good. And I do want to mention, um, I know there's been some confusion. Um, The total sugar is the total sugar. So say there's 20 grams of total sugar and 15 added. Um, 15 out of that 20 is added. So only five is not added. So there's a little confusion there sometimes with families. So I just want to clarify that as well. And what should families be looking at for like a guideline for, you know, a, 
a typically healthy kiddo who doesn't have, you know, special dietary needs, um, is there kind of a guideline they should be looking at for the total amount of, of sugar intake in a given day? Yeah, so there's a couple of different recommendations. Um, we like to look at the American Heart Association recommendation for children, which is about 25 grams of um, added sugar per day. That equals to about six teaspoons. Um, as a visual, a teaspoon um, is about the tip of your pinky, just if that's a better visual for us. So maybe about six of those per day is a good recommendation. I think that's very important for families to look at in terms of an awareness of this. Not necessarily it has to be counted strictly. Um, you know, we do want a healthy relationship with food. We don't need strict counting or anything like that. However, if we are going to have um, a pack of Pop-Tarts every day and we find out that there's 30 grams of sugar in two Pop-Tarts, maybe that's not something we need every single day. Uh, maybe that's an every once in a while food, um, not an everyday food. So I think that I want to go back to the um, the chocolate milk for just yeah. a second because, um, you know, it's like milk is one of the things that we want kids to have in their diets. Um, and sometimes we have a hard time getting it in them. Mm-hmm. So the the adding the chocolate to it becomes a pretty normal thing for a lot of families. How should we be thinking about that? as families, should we just try not to do it at all? Does it become an every once in a while thing like the other moderation that we were talking about? Or, um, you know, I, I feel like sometimes you need to just not start it at all because it's a slippery slope. Yeah, definitely. I would say if you're not already, if you're giving your kids plain milk and they're doing great with it, do not bring chocolate milk into the home. If you want to go have it every once in a while out for an occasion, uh, that's totally fine. But if you're not there, don't start it. No need. You're totally right. It can be a slippery slope. Now, if your kid only drinks chocolate milk and will not drink plain milk at all, me saying, well, just give them plain milk, that's not a helpful recommendation at all, right? Because then you're in the kitchen, you're fighting the battle, and then your kid might just refuse to drink anything. And so anything, any way that we can slowly cut down is helpful. So even if that's doing three quarters of a cup of chocolate milk and a quarter of a cup of milk. And you're mixing that before they see it, before it goes in their cup. And as we can slowly work to reduce, because we're going to look at our total sugar for the whole day. And so chocolate milk might just be one one part of that. Now, if your kid's drinking four or five cups, we're well over double the recommendation for added sugar, and that's just in drinks. So I think anything we can do to reduce the sugar is helpful, but we want to be realistic. And so slowly reducing that can be really helpful um, in small ways. I think mixing it is a good way to start. Um, but I do want to also say with juice, um, some people, um, if they feel that their child is drinking too much juice, um, a good transition would be maybe to dilute it half and half before serving it, um, before they see that it's diluted. Many, many children don't notice that it is diluted. So that's a good slow transition until they get more of a water as their main beverage versus full juice. And, um, like you said, juice is a natural sugar. Um, however, there is a lot of natural sugar in the juice, which is why we don't recommend it um, in large amounts. For example, one cup of orange juice is about four small oranges, three medium oranges. So would we really eat three medium oranges in one serving versus us drinking one cup of orange juice is kind of equivalent, but the orange juice doesn't have the good fiber, just has the extra natural sugar. I've never thought about that, that a whole cup of orange juice is equivalent to three oranges. You're right. We wouldn't just typically, I mean, unless they're the little tiny cuties, <laughs> but um, you, you wouldn't just sit down and, and eat three of them. So that's, um, I think that the, you know, the diluting is an interesting, um, is an interesting concept as well for juices. 
And actually funny story with my own kids, we've always, always done that. And then the first time they had like full on apple juice, they were like, Whoa, what is this stuff? <laughs> sugar overload. Yeah. Sugar overload. So I, I think that a lot of times it has to do with what the parents are introducing. Like you said, they eat what's in the home. Mm-hmm. And so are there any other kind of things like that, the slippery slope kind of things from really young childhood that parents can make the choices early to help their kids be on a better trajectory as they go into later childhood? Yeah, absolutely. I think a ton of quote-unquote kids' foods are highly, highly processed. There's lots and lots of marketing. We were just talking uh, about the average of $10 billion spent on ads for food just to children, which is a ton of money. And that's from a few years ago. So I'm sure it's just increased even more. And so I would say that your kids can eat whatever you're eating for dinner. It just needs to be prepared in an appropriate and safe way for their age. Um, And so there's lots of different guides available. um, And Children's has lots of resources as well as how foods need to be cut up, whether that's when they're young, young, pureed, or just minced, or what what size is safe for them to eat. And so I think a lot of times parents think they need to prepare two meals, one adult meal, one kid meal. And then kids start to just eat those chicken fingers and the tater tots and the fries and the pizzas and the can, the pastas, all these things. And then you try and feed them what you're eating. And they're like, I don't want to eat that, of course, because the foods they've been eating are highly palatable, highly processed foods. So I think from the beginning... If you can, serving kids foods, whatever, all the having the whole family eat the same things, um, introducing lots of different fruits and vegetables, getting them involved in the process. They're going to be a lot more invested to eat what they're eating if they've helped you in the kitchen. Um, and then if you're already there, if you're already having these foods, I think working on a slow transition, right? Um, we're figuring out what's going to work for your family. We don't want to start tantrums and all these things. We don't want you to be a short order cook, right? Oh, I don't want this. So, oh, I'll make you this instead. Oh, I don't want that either. So I'll make this instead. And then that just creates this habit where the kid knows that they can just get whatever they want, depending on what they ask. And so I think serving the family, all the same things, mm-hmm. um, helping introduce a wide variety of foods that will all help. So what about the things that, you know, you mentioned the kids that are like, oh, I don't want that. Um, picky eaters are mm-hmm. a thing for sure. And do you guys have thoughts on how we can help parents of the picky eaters? Because I feel like there just comes a point so often where you're like, I I don't even care. I just need something in your belly. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and eat whatever this is that I know it has sugar in it, but it's better than nothing. Um, how, How do we help those parents of the picky eaters keep their kids healthy and hopefully maybe even start to work through some of that pickiness. Um, some ways, kind of like what Catherine said, is getting involved in the kitchen, getting involved with food with food and cooking and things like that um, can be one way to try to go about it. Um, for example, maybe getting involved in grocery shopping. Um, maybe when you guys go to the produce section, um, the child picks out maybe a fruit or vegetable they've never had before. Maybe one that looks really neat, one that they've seen their friends eating, that kind of gets them excited about it, um, trying new things, because trying new things is a very important step to to trying to get over um, certain foods that they don't like, um, trying things over and over again, um, taking the time to do that, having the patience to do it, it is difficult. Um, another way some families like to get their child involved um, is in the kitchen. Um, for example, um, I had a mother who 
would print out a bunch of recipes for the week, um, heart-healthy recipes, and she would have their child pick which one they wanted to help make. So it was their choice. It wasn't like they were being forced to eat it. Um, they had the choice to help pick it, help make it, um, and the whole process. They kind of felt more involved to want to try these things versus it's just given to you. Um, so I think that's very important. Um, and then one last thing that some parents like to do is say there's um, a couple vegetables or fruits um, sitting on a sitting on a counter, giving the child the option of here's three, which one would you like to choose, versus saying here's one broccoli, do you want it or not? Giving them three options and saying which one do you want to choose out of these three. So it's kind of you have to eat one, but which one? Versus them thinking they don't have to eat it at all. Yeah, and um, foods can take lots and lots of exposures for kids to adjust to. If maybe they ate fruits and vegetables as a kid, as a young kid in baby food, but then they stopped, became very picky, um, and now we're trying to sort of reintroduce those foods. I think just knowing that it can take 15, 20, even more times exposures to a food for a kid to be able to tolerate it or accept it. And so I think continued exposure is really important. And then I think the way we talk about it is important. So you have to eat this, this is healthy. Well, that doesn't mean anything to a kid, right? They're like, well, I don't care. It doesn't taste good. I don't like it. And so I think explaining like, um, if you're saying an orange, let's try this orange. This has lots of good vitamin C in it. This is gonna help you be really healthy and help protect your body. Or if you're doing strawberries, explain something about the strawberry that's healthy or green beans or whatever it may be, instead of just saying, quote unquote, this is healthy, tell them something fun it's gonna do for their body. And that's gonna make a little bit more sense to them. Um, and so that can often be helpful. And instead of just saying, you know, when your kids, I hate that food. I don't like that food, right? Um, one shift for some kids that can be helpful, not all kids, is saying, no, we're just learning to like it, right? We're learning, we're helping train our taste buds to like something. And so equating that just the way that they train to be better at a sport or train to be better at a game, they've got to train their taste buds to be able to get the best feel for their bodies. So that could be helpful for some kids as well. I like that. And I think it's interesting as you were sitting here talking, um, I realized that as hard as I have tried, there are a few things, um, even as an adult, that my taste buds have never learned to like. Mm -hmm. And I don't feed them to my kids because I don't like them. And my youngest is obsessed with tomatoes, like little baby grape tomatoes. Um, I don't like tomatoes. I didn't introduce them to my two older kids. It was just a happenstance that my nephew was eating these grape tomatoes and my youngest tried them because his cousin had them. And now it's like one of his favorites. And it was definitely an eye opener for me that it's like, okay, I need to step a little outside of my own comfort zone to make sure that my kids are developing um, developing palates that will help them through the rest of their lives. Do you have any advice for, for families who might be the adults in the home trying new things as well? Yeah. I mean, I think framing it as like, this is a family adventure that we're doing this together. We're all learning to do this together. And so you can even take bites at the same time or say, okay, we're each going to try this together. Or each person is the fam in the family is in charge of choosing one new food this week. Um, and so I think really doing it as a family and having it be a bonding experience can be good. Uh, and then I always say any new food, always serve it with a safe food. So always serve it with something that you already like. So instead of if you don't like chicken and you don't like rice and you don't like broccoli, then don't make that all as a meal. Have some sort of safe food, some sort of safe protein, safe starch that you already know you and your family like, and then introduce one new food. 
um, or even taking bites. Like if your kid loves mashed potatoes but won't eat any vegetables, can they take a scoop of mashed potatoes with a scoop of vegetables and eat that? So then their taste buds are feeling, oh, this is something I know I like with something new, which is kind of scary, but I think I'll try it because I do feel like I know at least one of these things that I'm eating. Um, so I'm going to shift us just a little bit because I want to make sure that we have time to talk about sugary drinks in particular. I know we talked the white milk, chocolate milk. Talk to me a bit about sports drinks and even more so energy drinks that it feels like more and more are marketed at kids. And that's kind of scary. So two separate topics would love to talk about them differently because, you know, it's like hot day baseball game. They always want Gatorade and it just doesn't you know, there's a lot of added sugar there. Um, I can start off with the sports drinks aspect of it. Um, sports drinks, whether it's regular or sugar-free, um, sports drinks were made for vigorous activity, athletes who were doing, you know, one and a half, two hours of very hard, sweaty activity. So those were kind of meant for to replenish that salt that they're losing during this game. So they're not adding the salt in addition to the salt that's already there, um, they're kind of just replenishing what was lost. However, if I were to drink Gatorade right now, I'm just adding a bunch of extra salt and sugar that I really don't need. Um, I don't need the sugar. Um, I don't need the salt because I wasn't doing all this activity to fuel my body. I'm just sitting here. Um, so I think that's very important to understand. So if a, but if a child is, you know, playing an intense sport in the hot summer sun, I mean, are there instances where a small Gatorade can be appropriate if if they're out there kind of doing things that are more the intent of those drinks in the first place? Definitely. Um, in those cases, especially when they are doing this vigorous activity, they can feel themselves losing a lot of sweat. Um, they might be feeling dizzy. They might be feeling dehydrated. They need um, not only extra water, but they might need um, maybe even a small sports drink. Um, see if that helps um, them feel a little better. By no means do they need, you know, two 20-ounce sports drinks at one time, but I do think um, a little bit could be beneficial um, to replenish that salt that they are losing because they are losing it and they need to replenish it. So there, there is a time and a place for it, definitely. And you also mentioned the, like, ones with sugar and the sugar-free, and that was something that I, I definitely want to come back to talking about the energy drinks, but before we get off of the sports drink topic, um, the, the kind of difference between actual sugar and artificial sweeteners, how do you guys feel about artificial sweeteners in general? I, I kind of feel like they're fake and I try to avoid them myself, but I know that sometimes, you know, people choose them because, okay, well, it isn't sugar. How should we be thinking about that as parents? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, ultimately, I would say it's a personal decision about what works for you and your family. Uh, the issue is that the research is there's not enough research in the effects of artificial sweeteners or zero calorie sweeteners on the pediatric population, right? So we've done a lot more studies in the adult population to see what this does, how is it affecting our body long term, but we just don't have that sort of research with the kids. And so that's why it really is a big question mark. It is unknown for the long term effects. Um, so really the place in clinic where we use it is a transition. This is not a, oh, it's okay, just switch all your drinks to diet or sugar-free and you're good to go. Our ultimate goal is that we're drinking um, all plain water or plain milk in the appropriate amount. However, if a kid's drinking 10 Gatorades a day, two pops, not drinking any water, to say just drink plain water is not realistic or helpful for anyone. And so we really use it sort of as a transition 
Um, and so, you know, hey, can we swap a few of those drinks to be sugar-free if the family feels comfortable with that? So again, the issue is that the research isn't conclusive. We don't know what effects these could have on kids long-term. And there's so many different kinds and it's starting to be in so many different foods because the industry knows that uh, families and parents and everyone is concerned about the level of added sugar. So they know if they use zero calorie sweeteners that it doesn't have to show up on that label. And so it looks like a healthier product. Okay. So those energy drinks I wanted to talk about, um, chock full of sugar, I'm assuming. Um, I haven't read the, I avoid those things at all costs, but I mean, my nine-year-old wants them mm-hmm. and says that friends drink them. And so I, I think help us understand like what is the what's the sugar situation with those and then even more so there's a caffeine situation that I think is dangerous right yes definitely so both are concerning um the sugar situation and the caffeine situation um most of those have well over that recommended amount of added sugar by the AHA that we were talking about earlier that 25 grams um and then they also do make a ton of sugar-free energy drinks I'm sure you'll see plenty of those as well the issue is that those have the same amount of caffeine. Um, and so for kids, we recommend no caffeine at all, um, that it's not safe for them or for their developing brains. And so it is a huge issue and they're marketed to kids. We were just talking about all the fun pictures and things that they put on it to make it look really appealing and seem cool to um, drink these energy drinks that are they really are unsafe for kids to drink. So I think as we kind of wrap up this conversation about sugar for kids, if there's a family who's just recognizing that, okay, maybe we have a little too much each day and they need to start making some changes, um, what would what would your recommendation be for them for where to start? Yeah. So I always recommend to start with drinks because those have the most amount of added sugars typically. And so I would say start with your drinks, do an evaluation. What is your kid drinking throughout the day? Are they having chocolate milk and juice and soda and Capri Sun and lemonade and sweet tea and whatever it may be, all of that sugar adds up. And so I would really start there. That liquid sugar gets blasted right to our bloodstream way faster than eating things with sugar. And so I would start there um, and figure out even if it's just one or two that we can swap for water or recommending, okay, every time you drink this drink, um, you're going to have to have a glass of water. And so we're balancing it out. Um, And then again, back to that, what's available in the home. You know, as soon as those juice boxes run out, think about, is this something that I can stop buying? Is this something that I cannot bring back into the home as we slowly start to change uh, what's available in the home? I think you said it perfectly. I always start with beverages as well. It's very important. Um, A lot of it is consumed throughout the day for a lot of families. Um, So it's a very um, great first step for families to to really target. Um, And then from there, you know, they can make goals on focusing on, you know, the breakfast they have every day that's the same that might be high in sugar um, or the lunch or the dinner or the snack that they have every day or whatever it may be. But I do think beverages are, are a great first start. Thank you both so much for your incredible insight and your uh, time to come talk with us about this today and help families make some healthier choices. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We really appreciate it.
This episode was recorded on June 11th, 2021. Young and Healthy content is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music is composed by Stephen Grieco. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Join us next week for another episode of the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.